Hello. Father Larry Richards, welcome to Anchored in Hope. Right now, it's a weekly podcast where we answer your questions and talk about things in the church. You can ask us any kind of questions. Uh, I don't know if I'll answer them all, but you can ask them. And I don't know if I'll get to them all either. You can put them in the comments section on this YouTube video as we're streaming. Later on, you can always send them to the Reason for Our Hope Um just go to our website there, and uh, there should be a link there for the uh, Anchored in Hope podcast. If not, you can just do the general one, and they'll get it over to me because we have a lot of uh, these things here. And um, oh, we got something else here. Isn't that nice? But anyway, so we're glad you're here, and so the first thing we're going to do is pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Father, you're closer to us than our breath. You're right here. Wherever we happen to be, you are embracing us in your love. You created us in love. You keep us in you keep us alive in love. And you lead us and help us to become love incarnate. Father, we ask that your spirit would take full control of our hearts and our lives, that we would only do your will. For we live to please you. We beg you these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Mary, Mother of Jesus, pray for us. Good Saint Joseph, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, again, we're all glad that you are here with us today. And um, it's been a, a crazy week. Uh, so now I'm just getting ready and today's even a crazier day those of you who are watching live if you look tonight at 7 p.m we have uh, our monthly praise and worship at a parish at our parish and father mackerath my assistant he's going to be doing that tonight so this will be his first time and i'm going to be hearing confessions during that time so people will be able to praise god and get clean all at the same time and so um Yesterday, the Feast of uh, Priests, which was St. John Vianney, uh, the priests got together with our bishop here. We had a picnic at uh, St. Jude's Parish, one of the parishes in the area. We had over 50 priests that came. It was a fantastic time. It's always good to be with the brothers and just to relax with them and uh, to talk to them. The bishop says, are you in town? I go, Yes, for another couple of weeks, and then I'm I'm going out. For those of you in California, if you're a man in California, I'm going to be in Alhambra, California, at the Sacred Heart Retreat Center out there uh, in two weekends, and we're doing a men's conference there. You can just go to our website and go to the Father Larry speaking schedule and find out more. It's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday in Alhambra. Uh, and it's Los Angeles County, of course, and so everyone's going to have to be wearing masks, I, I'm guessing, uh, as I get out there. So I'm excited. So if you're a man out in that area, uh, sign up for that retreat. It's just going to be me and all the guys that are there for that weekend. And then uh, um, I'm going to be there the five days before for my silent retreat. I know nobody can ever figure I'm going to be on a silent retreat so I'm going to have my podcast this week, next week, and then I'll have two weeks off. So you'll have to go to some of my older ones and wait till I come back uh, uh, after that for, you know, in September is when I'll be a next one. But I'll still be here next week. It'll be the two weeks after that. 
We got a lot of uh, comments, both good and bad, on my uh, podcast last week when I ranted, as I have a tendency to do everything for those of you, or not you, but those of you who are, those who are not uh, followers of Francis and don't like him. And, um, you know, again, I'm not going to go there again, but I, I still needed to say that and I needed to say it strongly. I don't think some people said I was hateful and I was filled with hate that surely was not the case and it surely was not what I wanted, but it had to be strong. I, I just did, you know, and so, um, and some people start yelling that uh, we need to embrace tradition. And I completely disagree with that. We need to embrace Jesus. And Jesus is alive. And as long as we're embracing him, we're always going to be in truth. And part of him being alive is, you know, like I am who I am today. I'm different than I was uh, 20 years ago or 30 years ago even. And, uh, but it's still me. Now that the church has grown Jesus has been with the church from the very beginning. And everything that the church has ever taught is part of who Christ is. But the church has grown. You know, it just has. And there's many, 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 many ways you can see how it's grown. And as long as we're embracing Jesus, you know, if you're not growing, you're dying. And that's just so important, not only in our own life, but in the life of the church. So we got to stay focused on Jesus and just embrace Jesus and wanting to do his will. And if that's the point, because sometimes his will takes us to places we don't want to go. Sometimes his will takes us uh, to do things we don't want to do. Remember uh, Jesus, when he was talking to, uh, after the resurrection, he's talking to St. Peter and he says, uh, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And how do we... How did he, Jesus, call him to prove that he loved him? Feed my sheep. And he asked him again, Peter, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. Third time, Peter, do you love me? And then he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know everything. And he said, when you were young, you did what you wanted to do. But as you grow older, Peter, you will put out your hands and someone will take you, someone and be lead you apart against your will. And that way you will show how you will die and you will glorify me. We need to always be led by Jesus. Jesus couldn't say, I mean, Peter couldn't say, I'm the Pope, nothing should happen to me. He knew that he would die with Jesus. And as we, as a church, we become more and more like Jesus then we're always going to be more vulnerable. We're always going to lay down our life for others. The problem, I believe, is that often, not often, but through the centuries, the church has embraced worldly power instead of embracing Christ on the cross. Because none of us want to give up our life for others. Well, no, that's, that's, that's an overstatement. Many don't want to give up their life for others. They come to Jesus, not in the Catholic Church only, but all Christian nominations, for what Jesus can do for them. And yet again, Jesus says we can't follow him unless we deny our very selves, pick up our cross, and follow in his footsteps. So that's what we are called to do. We're called to be like Jesus. And uh, sometimes we need to be reminded of that. You know, today, again, if you're a daily mass goer, you heard today's the day where Jesus calls St. Peter 
after he made him the, um, well, yesterday he made him the rock, but today he sat there and called him Satan. Wasn't that nice? In front of everybody, you know, he was, uh, he really let uh, Peter have it. And I'm often thinking, you know, he was embarrassed. Peter was, he was hurt. Peter was, and yet Jesus loved him so much. And together they founded the church. Jesus loves you and he loves me very much. But he'll always challenge us and he'll always, you know, sometimes be hard on us so that we can do his will. So again, that's it with me. I just wanted to sit there and uh, get now and explain that a little bit as I start taking your questions here. And we'll start, people have already been asking questions here, so good. Hi, Father Larry. And this is from Danelia. Watching you from Brazil. Well, welcome. It's good to have you visiting us from Brazil. I haven't been there yet, but one of these days, I hope to get there, God willing. Love the way you convey the faith with a down-to-earth rigor and a lot of optimism. Usually it's optimistic. <laughs> but thank you. Pray for me, and we'll all pray for you that we all become saints one day. Okay. Hi, Father Larry, my husband, Paul, and I am looking forward to joining you on your tour in Italy in October. We're coming from San Diego. Fantastic. That's where I'm retiring, God willing, in eight and a half years. I love San Diego, uh, and so I'm so glad you're going to be with us. And again, we're still going to Italy. We already have 30 people signed up. Uh, we can fill up a full bus, which will be um, up to 50 people. So uh, if you're interested in coming, it's a, a, a 10 day tour, or a 12 day tour. You know, by the time you fly and everything back, it's about $4,500, including airfare. Um, and, uh, we're going to be going into, we go into Rome, we spend a couple days in Rome and go up to a, a CZ. We go to, um, uh, Florence, we go to Padua, we go up and we leave from Venice. And, uh, right now, because a lot of people aren't traveling because of COVID up in Italy, it's going to be a great time. We're going to have a lot of these places to ourselves, you know, as we're visiting, there isn't that many people going to be there. Now you don't have to have, be vaccinated to go to Italy, but you have to be vaccinated to get in many of the places. So I'm just telling everybody the best thing to do is be vaccinated as uh, if you're interested in going, because you'd hate to go to Italy and not be able to go into any of the museums or anything else, but that they're looking for, uh, you have to have proof of vaccination. So if you really want to go and you haven't been vaccinated, you can get vaccinated today and in two weeks and you'll be plenty ready for uh, our time together in Italy. So I just encourage you, if you want to come, oh, we have a fine time when we travel. Every day we do stuff holy. Every day we have mass. Every day, uh, like I always have my holy hours, so I invite people if they want. I can't do it. I'll do it every day, but can't do it as a group every day. But those who want get to spend their holy hour and we get to spend our time with Jesus. And then uh, every night we get to go to the bar and have a beer or whatever. I mean, it's just part of it, part of the relaxing thing. And I like to have a beer. Uh, I can't have a high carb beer. I have to do a low carb beer, but that's okay. If you notice, I'm down to 180 pounds because um, I had to go back on my strict fasting and my strict no carbs. And it's been helping tremendously. My sugar hasn't been up in over uh, a month and a half now. And so uh, it's been a great blessing to me. So uh, how that's going to happen when we're in Italy with all that pasta, I don't know. I'll take extra medicine and try to be good that whole time. So good. But I'm so glad you're going to be coming with us. So uh, I'll remember this because San Diego, of course, I'm going to remember it all. 
Okay, so Paul and Julia will remember. Hello, Father. Taking Talking to someone today of a different faith. Not sure what he is, but he was saying how man changed the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. Is this true? Absolutely, positively, it's true. The church changed the Sabbath. That's why, again, as we talked about, the church changed a lot of things that, you know, and I'm sure there was much more fighting in those days than there was today. Uh, why? Because the commandment was, keep holy the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was, and still is to the Jewish people, Saturday. Now, Jesus Christ, though, rose from the grave on Sunday. So the church, way early on, changed it to Sunday because of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, again, the Sabbath was, you didn't have to go, there was nothing about the Sabbath that said you had to go to synagogue. It was a day of rest. Now we made it, the church again made it at the beginning that it's Sunday and that you got to go to Mass. And so that's why going to Mass on Sunday is a precept of the church. You know, that's why the priests could dispense, I mean, the bishops could dispense with it during this COVID season. And again, a lot of things the church changed. You know, in the beginning, it had to be, you had to be a Jew to become a Christian. And to do that, if you were a male, means you needed to be circumcised. So at the Council of Jerusalem, way in the beginning, it talks about this in the Acts of the Apostles. They sat there and they says, you no longer have to be circumcised to be a Christian. Now, again, this law God gave them to Abraham and the church changed the law. Another time, here is, you know, part of the law, the Old Testament was you were not allowed to eat pork. That means you couldn't have bacon. And then, and Joppa, Peter is in prayer and he goes into ecstasy and goes into a trance and then the skies open up and comes down this this uh, thing holding all these pigs and it says, take and eat, take and eat. And Peter says, no, no, sir, nothing unclean has ever came into my mouth, never entered this month. And it says, what God has called clean, you must not call unclean. And so we start eating bacon. Aren't you happy? I love bacon myself. But so again, when people start yelling and screaming nowadays, it, the church can't change anything. The Pope can't change anything. We have changed a lot. And just like people fought it back then, people fight it today. And the reason we can change things is because the church and Jesus Christ, there is no difference. The church is the body of Christ. And the head of the church, of course, is Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ's representative is the Pope. And so the Pope, as the head of the body of Christ, the one who God speaks through, can change things. It was always that way from the beginning of the church, and it continues to be this way. Now, again, some people don't want it. Some people want to fight it, and they do good reasons, just like the Jews had good reasons why to fight it. That's why, again, there was the great debate uh, amongst the church whether we could start eating bacon. There was great debate whether people should be circumcised. There was great fights of that in the early church, but we still changed it. So all that being said, the, an the simple answer to your question is yes, the church changed it. Now, it says it was changed by man. We would say it was changed by the church, 
and which is filled with men, but also inspired by the Holy Spirit. So God continues to lead us. And so it's really God who sits there and uh, says we can eat bacon. It's really God who says we now have Sunday as the Sabbath and Saturday Saturday. It's really God who says you don't have to be circumcised because God became a man in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ continues to live in the church through the Holy Spirit. And again, Jesus said, the spirit will lead you in all truth. So just to give you a a, a very short thumbnail about all those things, okay? So let's go here. How do I get my kids, six to eight years old, to have an intimate relationship with Jesus? If I tell them to sit quietly and spend time with him, who knows what they'll be thinking about? And they probably won't sit quietly. We pray together nightly. One of the biggest things, like uh, we, I'm in charge, uh, the spiritual director of the CMLA, the Catholic Men's Leadership Association, and so I do the, the spirituality. And so my big thing with them is what we need to do with the men is every day send out a scripture with a question to help them grow in discipleship. Because I thought, I think often that we spend too much time talking or just doing root prayers or memorized prayers. But the way to grow in intimacy is when we are, Psalm 46, verse 10, it says, be still and know that I am God. So one of the best things I could tell you to get your kids to do that, it's hard for them to sit still, but you could give them a scripture verse that sits there and says something like, uh, love your enemies. Let's just take that one. Do good to those who persecute you. And give that to them and say, what do you think that means for you? Or how do you do that? Or how can you do that better? Or why don't you like to do that? And have them write like a prayer journal and sit there and after they respond to that, say, now write a letter to Jesus about asking him how to make your heart more loving towards even your enemies. Tell, ask him to write a letter and say, Jesus, how can I see you in these people? Because Jesus, you're the one in my enemies. And I need to see you in them instead of just dismissing them. So you do that with just scripture verses. And you can sit there and begin, like look up in Google, scripture verses for discipleship or scripture verses to help us be intimate with God. Again, one of my great things for intimacy is Isaiah 43, 1 to 5. And it says... uh, Do not be afraid, I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. When you walk to the water, I will be with you, and the flames you shall not, uh, in the water you shall not drown, the flames will not consume you. For I, you are precious in my eyes, you are honored, and I love you. And have them sit with that for a while. If you have boys, have them sit with uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 11. When Jesus was baptized and God the Father looked at him and said, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And you have them sit with that every day and say, how are you God's beloved son? Do you think God is pleased with you? And why isn't he pleased with you? Because I really think that most followers of Jesus think that God hates their guts, that God every day really doesn't like them. But then why would he create you? Like I was saying to one of my spiritual directees the other day, so we think that's so great and it's this great humility when I think that I hate myself and everybody else hates me. So this is who God is. He creates us out of hate or he creates us to make us suffer or he creates us to make us hate ourselves. Is that who God is? Is that who your image of God is? The God that's been revealed to us is God who says, 
I am love or God is love through the scripture. It's a God who after we sin and we deserve eternal damnation becomes one of us and then goes to the cross and then takes my sins and takes your sins, which we should be damned for, and he pays the penalty and he fulfills his own justice. This God who's revealed to us says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. John chapter 13, verse 34. And then the very next verse, John chapter 13, verse 35, he says, this is how all people will know you're my disciples because you love each other. That's who God is. And that's who God calls us to be. Again, I don't do that well sometimes. That's the whole point. So when people go crazy and they think, Father, you can be very angry. Yes, I can. I am the most human priest you'll ever meet. I am the most messed up priest. After someone read my book, Be a Man, years ago, they wrote me an email and says, Father, you have issues. Let me be very clear. I have great issues. Again, right after this time with you today, I'm going to go and see a shrink, a psychologist, just to talk out some of my issues. Sometimes, and I'm, I'm doing much better now, but I'm always going to have issues, people. <laughs> you know, just like you're always going to have issues. So again, so sometimes people, they hear me once and they see I can get crazy and say, see, he's that way. I wouldn't say I'm always that way. Inside of me is two different things. There's a very gentle part of me and there's a very wacky part of me. And the fight is which one comes out. When I was younger, it was always the angry. And again, anger is a symptom of either fear or hurt. And that's the way we protect ourselves. And so that's an issue. And so I get better and better. But again, we're all in this together. We're all like this. And that's why it's just so uh, crazy when we dismiss others because they're too much like us is the problem. I was once doing a, uh, a priest retreat up in uh, Canada, Nova Scotia, I think, on the, on the uh, Vancouver. I was up in Vancouver. It was a priest retreat. And so there's all these priests and I'm the only speaker there. And I start talking about something and the priest was right in front of me at the podium. He sat there and says, how much longer do we have to listen to you right in front of me? Now, priests are the hardest people to talk to and give retreats to because we're very judgmental, especially of one another. And so he, usually they're thinking that, but they're not saying it out loud in front of all the other priests, two feet in front of the speaker, as this man did to me. So I stopped and I said, Father, is there an issue? And he goes, how much longer do we have to listen to you? Da, da, da. And I says, Father, we'll talk right after me. Let's keep listening and we'll talk when I'm done. Okay. Well, then I said other things. And so at the end, I stopped in front of everybody because he confronted me in front of everybody. I said, uh, so, Father, what's the problem? He said, well, you got better. And I said, well, let me tell you your problem, Father. Okay, you tell me my problem. Father, you're just like me. And everybody started clapping, standing, going crazy. And he left, of course, but he was just like me. And so sometimes when we see ourselves in others, we hate it. Because, you know, uh, our father went to heck. Because even though we mightn't say it the way I do, we might think it. But well, at least I never bring it out. Yeah, and you're perfect and I'm not. So, but whatever. So this is all part of the reality. So here we go. It's keep going on here. 
from Chris. Hi, Chris. Our pastor is enrolled in a degree program that takes him away for Sunday Masses once a month. With the shortage of priests, he has opted to have lay leaders offer communion service. Is that the norm? No. His main thing should not be getting a degree. His main thing should be taking care of his parish. If he can't take care of his parish, he should bring in a priest. Now, that's normal. I mean, it might be a rare thing, but I mean, I went to get a degree in liturgy at Notre Dame, and we just pulled in other priests while I'm gone. So, I mean, usually they can do that. Uh, but I would not have went and got my degree. I wasn't a pastor then. I was a teacher. So, I, again, I don't know what diocese in that you're in, so maybe there is no priest, but usually you can get something to come in. But uh, a prayer service with a layperson is not the way things should be on a Sunday. Um, but again, I don't know the full situation. It's easy for me to make a judgment about something I don't know. Uh, but normally, if you're just asking if that's the norm, no, that is not the norm. Okay. So this is from Carly. How should we feel an act about everything that's going on with the Vatican pro-abortion? The Vatican is not pro-abortion. I mean, I don't even know where you get that. It's not. Pope Francis surely is not uh, for abortion. All you got to do is read his stuff. Again, what a lot of people do is they have things taken out of context by some of the talking heads. And let me tell you, some of the talking heads, even are call themselves Catholic, are not instruments of the church. They're not of God. They're instruments of the evil one because they're talking about half-truths. They're talking things out of context. They're doing the sin of detraction. And so they're only giving you what, you, what they want you to hear. Like even on some of the Catholic news stations that just deal with it, I'd say I'd have a lot of respect for these people if they brought both sides. You know, so if someone don't like the Pope and they talk about it every week, how much they hate the Pope, well, why don't you bring someone that brings the other side in? They never have in all these years. Nine years. Why? Because if someone says something that they don't agree with, they dismiss it. So no matter how much they tell you, we're standing up for truth. If truth can't stand another side, then it's not truth. If truth is proclaimed through the sin of detraction, it surely is not truth because sin cannot be used to proclaim truth. And whenever you talk an unkind word about anybody, that's detraction. And it's the sin of detraction. And the sin of uh, detraction can even be mortally sinful, depending on what you say about it. If you, if you set out to uh, purposely ruin someone's reputation, that can be mortally sinful. That means you cannot receive communion until you repent of that, which means you'll never do it again. So I promise you, the Vatican is not, is not pro-abortion. And there's many things, I, I can't get into it now, but it's kind of like someone wrote me an email last week and they said to me, uh, Father, uh, some people of us have left your church because they thought you got real, you're getting easy uh, and you didn't talk the last election about who to vote for and who not to vote for. That's not my job. My job is to be pro-choice. I mean, pro-life, of course. And if you listen, if you never heard me give a pro-life talk, you just go to, very simple, you go to put in Google, uh, enough, and then put Father Larry Richards. And you'll hear, it's 
enough, enough, enough. I, I curse Planned Parenthood. I believe all abortions, if you ever listen to me in my daily prayer, I every day pray for the end of the curse of abortion. But I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. That's your free choice. You do realize that the greatest gift God gave us was existence. The second greatest gift God gave us, according to Thomas Aquinas, was our free will. So God gives you so much free will that you can go to hell forever. He tells us the principles, but he doesn't tell us everything exactly what we should do. If we did that, then I don't think we'd be in half the mess we are in the church today. But read any of the documents. Read any of the thing. Those of you, uh, just, just don't, 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 don't listen to anybody unless you go to the source and unless you read it in context. Don't ever listen to any of these people because the devil can take a thing of truth and expand it. You do know what's what heresy is. Heresy is taking something that could be true a little bit and then expanding it so it's no longer true. So you just got to watch that, huh? Again, 100%, 100%, the Vatican is pro-life. Now, you might be sitting there saying, Father, that's not true. Put it in context. Look at everything. Just, it's just that's not the first thing they talk about. And some people, that's the only issue there should be. So again, like people sit there and say, you shouldn't receive communion, certain politicians and that. But again, as Jesus, we talked about last week, the people that go to hell, according to Jesus, are the people who don't take care of the poor. So if you don't take care of the poor, you should not be receiving communion because Jesus said you're not going to make it to heaven. Oh, why don't I preach on that? Why don't I talk more about that? Because that's what Jesus says. Notice that Jesus doesn't ask you what to do. Jesus preaches what his father tells him. And so we got to make sure that we don't sit there and just look for our own cause. The greatest curse on this earth is abortion when we kill our own children there is no greater evil but we need to speak that but we also need to speak the other evils there in this day <laughs> this very day 15,000 children will die in the world from starvation so we let them be born but we don't share enough of our own money with our own people in the world so they'll die of starvation and yet we call ourselves pro-life we call ourselves pro-life, and then all the days of our life, we kill people with our words, right? If we're pro-life, we're pro-life from a baby conceived until a person dies naturally. But it means we must be pro-life in our, what we say. So if we cry out the sin of detraction or the sin of gossip, we destroy and we kill people and we kill their reputation, don't call yourself pro-life that's a big thing we got to be 100 for all these things but of course the greatest of all of them is we got to go against abortion absolutely positively 100 but if i'm pro-life i gotta be pro-life in all things okay so thank you for the question let's go on here those are the things that get me more riled up than the ones online <laughs> the ones here okay Okay, da, da 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 da. There are some Christians who celebrate wide uh, denomination. Uh, the 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 people that celebrate the Sabbath on Saturday are uh, 
uh, uh, Seventh-day Adventists, they celebrate on Saturday because they said exactly that. The commandment of the Old Testament is Saturday. We can't change it, and the church changed it, so they keep it on Saturday. Here we go. Now that Father Mac is in the parish, do you get more time off? <laughs> Not yet. Uh, he's been, he was away for a vacation for a week, excuse me, and for a um, um, retreat for a week. But like tonight, he's saying that he's doing the praise and worship, but I'll still be there. And so he's taking more of the masses. He's not taking the morning masses because uh, I always have the seven, but I was going to add another mass, but he doesn't want it. So he says his own private mass in Latin upstairs. Um, so we still have to work out how that all is going to be. He's also, uh, he has the Latin mass and he also every, uh, every other Sunday. And he also is going to be teaching at the high school. And so even though he's the, uh, primarily my assistant, he's also doing all these other things. So we haven't worked out how, how all that's going to work yet. We still have to uh, work that out. So, but I am getting some time off. I don't know what to do. I always feel guilty if I'm not at something. So it's just part of all these years being, I've been my past, I've been a pastor. I just finished my 19th year. I'm in my 20th year there. And so it's always like I've done all these things myself all these years. I have not had a full-time assistant except once a guy from Africa. He didn't make it a year though. Everybody else has been, they did everything else except they just lived there with me. So anyway, we'll see what continues to happen. Ah, Virginia asks, what was, is Jesus' personality like? Is he someone you'd want to hang out with, with a person despite how he was? I always tell men if they really want to do this, but it's for anybody, of course. But I say what we should do is be like Jesus. We should have the personality of Jesus. So you can do this, anyone who's watching right now. You go through just the Gospels uh, first, and all you do is you write out the personality characteristics that Jesus displays when he got angry, when he was gentle, when he was, uh, uh, you know, like again today or yesterday, I forget which day, he called the woman a dog, you know, <laughs> it wasn't very nice. And we, you know, again, it might sound altogether different if, uh, back in the Greek, but in the English it sounds horrible. You know, so what was that? You know, what, what was he doing there? What was he doing when he was yelling at the Pharisees? What when he was doing, he was saying, neither do I condemn you. Uh, what was he doing? And so put all those things, and then you're going to get a picture of the personality of Jesus Christ. And then you can sit there and put his personality with your personality. And what is it in your own life that you have to change so that when people look at you and me, they see Jesus more and us less? So, but there's a lot in there if you look at the personality of Jesus Christ. And there's lots there, okay? So, let's go here. Is it okay to read Buddhist monks' books? I do read the Bible and pray, but uh, I, I like that. Uh, I've read, uh, I've done, because I think Buddhism isn't so much religion, it's a philosophy, even the Dalai Lama. I read the book with, uh, the Book of Joy with the Dalai Lama and the Bishop Tutu. And uh, the Dalai Lama calls himself, um, uh, not an atheist, but a, uh, uh, a god theist or no a non-god theist or something that the whole thing of buddha buddhism is really a philosophy it's a psychology it's not really a religion but they do have some great insights into things and again if we're of god the church is always taught that all religions have vestiges of truth what does that mean that there's some truth in there like all religions teach that we need to love each other so we can say 
that when they say love one another in Buddhism or be kind to one another, that, that can, that's true, and that truth would come from God, correct? So you can do that, but you just don't want to get into theology of other things. Now, again, I've said a thousand times, if someone could prove to me that Buddha was God, he wasn't, and he even said he wasn't, I'd become Buddhist because I'm always seeking truth. And because truth is bigger, you never have to worry. If Jesus, who says, I am the truth, you don't have to worry. You're going to be taken away from the truth as long as you're seeking truth. So again, I might read these things and look at them, but I'm not in any way affected by them in a bad way. It doesn't ever shake my confidence in the person of Jesus Christ. He's the savior of the world. He is the only one that was born and died and rose from the dead to prove that. Muhammad didn't rise from the dead. Buddha didn't rise from the dead. Nobody rose from the dead except for Jesus Christ. And the only one that appeared to thousands. And the person of Jesus Christ is still alive today in you and in me. So I'm always like people say, oh, don't read this. Don't do this. If you're seeking truth, It'll always lead you to Jesus because Jesus is the truth. And you can get great insights and in other things. Like, again, like we talked about last time, uh, um, Gandhi, who did great, great things in the name of uh, peace. But he said, I'd never met a Christian before. So why? Because there's a lot of people that say they follow Jesus, but they don't imitate Jesus. I follow Jesus. I am pro-life. But I believe those immigrants should be thrown out of the country and not allowed in our country. Really? You know who that immigrant is, don't you? Jesus. Excuse me? Yeah, Jesus, the least of my brothers or sisters. So how do you sit there and say Jesus must be born in that baby and then treat other people badly and say, well, they're not Jesus? Because they are Jesus Christ. They're the least of our brothers and sisters. You know, the enemy that we, God says, you know, love your enemies. Well, I'm not going to love my enemies. I actually, actually a person uh, tell me I gave a homily on that once and says, we're here to kill our enemies. That's nice. But that's not Jesus. You understand? So we got to make sure we have the mind of God. And uh, so we can make sure we're living in his will. Okay. Does the stylistic scribe ask, does God test us? In other words, can God, uh, can something that seems like it could be an opportunity from God actually be some Satan because Satan is clever and is trying to take us away from God? It could be. That's why we have to always discern spirits. Again, Padre Pio, if you ever read, read his life, you know, uh, the devil appeared to Padre Pio once as Jesus and once as Mary. So it could appear to be very good, but it can be very evil. So that's why we always got to do, because often there are people who sit there and think they're doing very good, but they're doing very evil in the name of God. And so we always got to be open. We always got to second guess ourselves. I mean, like again, anytime I say something hard or harsh or I'm going crazy over something, I really pray about it later. And I just think, God, is this of you or is it of me? And if it's of me, just shut me down, God. But it's of you, then don't ever let me shut up. We always got to have discernment, discernment of spirits. It's really good. But, you know, again, in the, old, I mean, in the Old Testament, when you read the letter of Job, he was being tested by God and the devil. You know? <laughs> so it was kind of interesting. I never liked that story when it comes right down to it because the, the devil goes to God and says, can I test him? And God says, sure. And I'm thinking, ah, 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 ah. That wasn't very nice. But, again, that's an altogether different thing. 
What are the ways that God can speak to us? The first way God speaks to us is through the scripture. The second way God speaks to us is in our silence of our prayer. The third way that God speaks to us is through the church and the teaching of the church. You know, that's the thing. God can also speak to us through other people, whether we like it or not, what people say to us. Sometimes God is speaking to me so loudly through somebody else. Um, and uh, I think, ah. Oh. That I need to hear that. Because remember in the Old Testament, Balaam? How did God speak to, uh, to Balaam? Through an ass. You know, literally an ass, a, a fowl, a, a donkey. You know, so God can use any kind of instrument to speak his will. It's amazing, huh? Okay. Do, 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 do. Jesus called Peter Satan. Yeah, to me it means the Pope can do uh wri i don't know what this but jesus will write it therefore we must remain in unity with the pope even if his decisions not faith of morals may be misguided completely true you know again i often think with pope francis uh he has the same problem i do or i have the same problem he does open mouth insert foot you know sometimes off the cuff when people ask me things i'll say stupid things you know, and I believe sometimes he says stupid things. It just is true. I love him with all my heart. I support him. I'll die for him. But sometimes off the cuff, he says stupid things or it's taken out of context. Uh, but the, my problem isn't when people go crazy with that over him when he says stupid things. It's when he writes an encyclical in that and they say it's not of God because that's official teaching of the church. It just is, you know. And so for people to go against that, that's when I'm having deep issues because now they've went against official teaching. And that's where we have uh, some differing of opinions, as you could tell from last week. Can a spiritual communion be for someone else's benefit? Yes. Uh, if they're in a state of grace, it's because you're prayer and you're doing stuff for them. You can do that and it can be great, great stuff for them. So, of course, it can be for somebody else too. Okay, Father, when is one make a when does one make a general confession? Do you recommend a scrupulous person make a general confession praying for you? I believe that you need to do that once in your life and then let it be done. You know, because sometimes people want to make a general confession again and again and again and again, and then you keep glorifying Satan by bringing up things that have already been confessed. You know, once it's been confessed and you've repented of it, and Jesus has covered it with His blood, it's gone. So you don't want to keep bringing it back up. So sometimes people want to go to make a general confession every time they go to confession. And I go, ah, 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 not, not with me. I mean, I don't let this stuff happen. And then people think that I'm strong on them, and I am because I want them to be holy. Scrupulous people, the problem is they're focused on themselves instead of being focused on Jesus and being focused on others. And Christianity is nothing about being focused on yourself. Again, as Jesus said, you can tell a tree by its fruit, and the fruit is how you feed others. So it isn't about how holy you happen to look or even think yourself to be, how often you fast, how often you pray. All that can be selfish. You can be an atheist and fast and pray saying prayers, spending hours in front of blessed sacrament. But what proves it real or not real is the fruit that it bears, how it feeds others. So is your life giving life to others? Are you taking care of the poor? Because Jesus said that. Are you doing what he says? Is your life for others? Are you generous? Are you kind? Are you helpful? Are you um, giving yourself away every day? Are you doing those type things? That's where the fruit 
that's proven whether your prayer life is real or not. And so too, when it comes to confession, you confess, you repent, and you move on. You don't keep going back to there. But let's say, especially if you're a convert or which you have to make a general lifelong confession or you never made a confession really your whole life. Every time you went to confession, you just said a few things. Well, it'd be a good idea, but you shouldn't do that on a a regular Saturday for confessions at parishes because that's going to take a little bit longer. You should make an appointment to see a priest. And again, if you don't want to see him face to face, say, Father, I really need a general confession. I'm looking at my whole life. There are some things I haven't confessed, and so maybe uh, could you meet me in the confessional and have him sit, sit in the confessional, and then you can go meet him if you're afraid, see him face-to-face, and go in there and meet him at another time, and most priests will do that. But again, if people are just doing it like every week, or I, I really I feel I confess this every week, Father, but I don't feel forgiven, that's when I go, don't you dare spit in God's face in my presence. Because if you've confessed it, Jesus has paid for it. Now let it be done. Don't you insult him by saying it didn't happen because your sin that you confessed, Jesus died for. It cost him his life. So you got to stop thinking about yourself, about I don't feel forgiven. I don't care how you feel. Jesus paid the penalty. What you should be is grateful and not looking at yourself thinking, well, am I forgiven? Am I not forgiven? Did I confess it? Didn't I confess it? You look at Jesus and say, thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for dying for my sins, because that's grace, and that's what we believe Jesus did for us, and we got to start living this. You know, I just don't think a lot of us live it. We just talk about it, and we don't really get it. Once you get that someone else paid the penalty for all your sins, and you know that in the depths of your being, you will not be guilty you will be grateful, grateful, grateful. You still, if you haven't repented it and confessed it, you'll feel guilty until you do it. But once it's gone and you've confessed it, you'll feel grateful. So that's just my little take on this. Okay. (laughs) I don't know why any of you ever listen to me. I'm nuts. You know, like some of the people think you're crazy. I know. Okay. Uh, your comments right before communion are very touching. Uh, yes. Again, to me, that's what happens every Mass. God embraces you. God doesn't hate us. He loves us. He pulls us close to himself. John the Evangelist, the way I do that every day is because at the Last Supper, John the Evangelist put his head on the chest of Jesus and he listened to his heartbeat. And John the Evangelist always represents the whole church. So if John did it, what that means is we're called to do it also. Okay, from Dom. Hi, Father. You were a big help in me in entering seminary last year. Good job, Dom. You challenged me to the Holy Ark. Very good. Every day be a man of prayer. Any further advice for me and value your opinion? Well, don't evaluate too, uh, evaluate it too much. You got to do, like what I have, if you haven't done it yet, if you've heard me, I believe that you put one thing on your mirror. It's on my mirror. And the one thing should be three words. I am third then every night when you're brushing your teeth before you go to bed sit there and think did i do at least one unselfish act today for somebody else of course that's what unselfish is about with not them doing anything for back not because like i always say for priests why said mass for somebody nope that's your job father that's your ministry what did you do apart from that did you do something kind for somebody else or do something else so you do that every day and sit there and when you're brushing your teeth think that I do at least one unselfish act for someone else today? And if the answer is no, you wasted your life in Christ. So it comes to yesterday was the feast of St. John Vianney, huh? 
And St. John says, if you're, if you're, if you're doing the breviary every day, yeah, you might do morning and evening prayer, but if you don't do the uh, officer readings, the officer readings and the Feast of St. John Vianney is fantastic. This is what I've based my life on. Just these two things, almost every time, every time I give a retreat, this is how I sum it up. St. John Vianney says, this is the glorious duty of man, that you pray and that you love. So the two things you got to do and all of us have to do every day of our life is we got to pray. God must be first in our life and we prove that through our prayer. But we must love, love others. And how did Jesus love? He said, all people know you're my disciples because you love one another. He said, this is my commandment, love one another as I have loved you. How did Jesus love us? He went to the cross and he died for us. So how does that mean that I must die for other people? Every day I got to put their needs in front of my own. Sometimes I do that greatly. Sometimes I'm horrible at that. But that got to be the goal. And so if you and I pray in love, pray in love, pray in love, pray in love, then we're going to be saints someday. The problem is we're not doing one of those things sometimes well, and sometimes we just don't care. Oh, I pray wonderful, Father, but I don't like people. You ever see these people that says, I, I love dogs, but I hate people? I love my dogs. But if I ever said, but I hate people, I'm going to hell. I don't know if we get that. We got to be people who love others. Again, that doesn't mean you and I tiptoe through the tulips. It doesn't mean we're always nice. It means that we put other people in front of us. Period. And we can do that every single day. So again, if I'm a speaker and I'm talking all these things and people follow me from all over the world, if I'm not a person of love and I'm not reaching out to the poor and I'm not taking care of others, I'm going to hell period. If you're a priest someday, God willing, and you're not loving, and you're not selfless, you'll still go to hell, period. So make sure you pray and listen when you pray, and make sure you love, and you love every day. Got it? Get it? Are you going to do it? <laughs> you better. Okay, thanks for the question. Thanks for watching. I just had a guy come in from Long Island this past weekend. Um, this uh, Greg Marino, he looked like a big Irish guy, but he was an uh, Italian guy. Uh, and he's a second-year pre-theologian, and he came to visit me from Long Island from the Do uh, Diocese of Rockford Center. And so he had all my talks memorized. I couldn't say anything to this kid. He goes, oh, yeah, the, then, Father, you said that, 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 that. Yeah, but he didn't like chocolate or anything. So I says, he's not going to make it. <laughs> so anyway, but he was a good kid. So pray for this Greg Marino. Just say, God bless the pagans, and he'll take him and all the other ones and take him to him heart. Okay. How has the Holy Spirit helped you keep your moments of frustration under control? Well, sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't, you know, so because sometimes the Holy Spirit sets us on fire. And again, I often say that's what I when I'm speaking, the Holy Spirit sets me on fire and people come to watch me burn. You know, again, when Jesus was going crazy, he went crazy. So sometimes the spirit does that. But two, the spirit asked to, the, the only way if I'm if I'm living my life and every morning before I do anything else. When I go in front of the Blessed Sacrament, I ask the Holy Spirit to take control of my life all day. But the problem is, excuse me, I have a, a sinful part of me that likes to do things my way. I don't know if you can relate. So as long as I'm living in the Spirit, it's great. 
when I pull back and I'm trying to do it my way, I'm letting fear or I'm letting uh, hurt take control of my life, that's when uh, it's problematic. So it's just got to be this total surrender because it's not what you and I do ourselves. It's what God does through us. So when we take care of the poor and we do that, that's God working through us. It's not about me doing this, earning salvation. It's about surrendering my life so much to Almighty God that I no longer live. Jesus lives inside of me. Galatians 2, 19 and 20. I no longer live, so it's Jesus reaching out to the poor. It's Jesus reaching out. And until you and I start saying it's Jesus living inside of me, then we're not going to have these fights because Jesus will take care of others. Jesus, of course, always prays. Jesus always takes care of the poor. Jesus treats everyone as a beloved child of God. Everyone. And so must we. Okay? So, just so you know, here we go. Good question. So here we go. Hi, Father. Okay. Uh, I find a lot of people destroying everything Pope Papa Francis says. You got that right. Uh, amen from the womb to the tomb. Yep. We must see Christ in everyone. Yep. Hi, Father. Is NFP sinful? Natural family planning, it's not sinful at all. That's the way the church says you should do it because God rejoices over sexuality. Do you get that? Sometimes we don't. We're such prudes. But the very first commandment God ever gave us before any of the Ten Commandments, what was the first commandment ever out of God's mouth? Do, 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 do. Increase and multiply. Have sex for children. So when we cooperate with God uh, without anything artificial, we're allowed to do that. Paul said you can abstain to pray and dedicate yourself to God. So as long as now NFP could become sinful if all it is is uh, being selfish. But the way it is, it, the way the church teaches it is, it's not sinful at all, okay? Do you have to be in a state of grace to do a spiritual communion? Uh, no, as long as you repent. Don't you get it, people? According to teaching the church, and it became very clear uh, during COVID, if you make a pure act of contrition, not out of fear, but out of love of God, and you're sorry, God, and the, the, word, the catechism teaches that you, even mortal sins can be forgiven. When we talk about not being in a state of grace, it means that you are in mortal sin and you don't care. So if you receive communion, you bring judgment upon yourself. But if you have a repentant heart, Lord, I never want to do that again. I'm so sorry I hurt you. Then we're set free. Now, we still have to carry that through in confession, but God will give us the grace. So before you have received spiritual communion, make a pure act of contrition. Tell God you're sorry for every sin. And not only you're sorry that you're never going to do it again by his grace, not by your power. And then you can receive, Okay. God always is on our side. He does everything to help us, not to get us. I mean, that's the whole thing. Some of the people have God as such an ogre. I wouldn't want to spend a day with him as opposed to forever. That's not the God who goes to the cross for us. It just isn't. So just so you know, I have one more question. I got to leave. Hi, Ireland. Great. I love Ireland. Most, I'm mostly Irish, so most of my family's from Irish, uh, from Ireland. Okay, I can't. Uh, why are Catholics covered in mass in the presence of the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus? <laughs> because Jesus asks us to put other people in front of him. That's a simple reason. I'll wear a mass because that's going to protect other people. 
If I decide I'm not going to wear a mask and I'm told I should to help other people, I am being a selfish, miserable human being saying what am more important, what I believe is more important than helping others. Paul says, if something is going to hurt others, don't do it. So if our church asks us to wear a mask right now, we don't have to do it, but I'll have to do it when I go to LA in a couple weeks. I'll do it. And I'm not going to complain about it. I'm not going to make myself a martyr. Jesus Christ died for me and they're asking me to wear a mask for somebody else. That's good. That's loving. That's putting other people in front of you. So please don't be one of those people that yell and scream and jump up and down and say, it's my right. It is your right. Now die. Die for other people instead of living for yourself. You will not wear a mask and you can still go to hell. That non-mask will not save you from going to hell forever because you are being selfish. So stop it and don't sit there and say, well, if you really believe, if you really believe you would never take any kind of medicine. If you really believed if you got cancer, you would not get chemo. You would just let the natural thing happen. God doesn't work that way. Normally, he uses doctors. We take medicine. I'm a diabetic. I take medicine. I don't say, well, God's going to heal me no matter what. He may, but he still wants me to listen to my doctor. So when people ask those judgmental questions, that's another thing that sets me off. It's time for us all to stop being selfish. It's enough. Stop it. Do anything that's going to help someone else. There are people in my parish that cannot take the vaccine and they're petrified every time they come, so they wear a mask. So if I wasn't vaccinated, I'd be wearing a mask too to protect them. And it might come to the time that even us who are vaccinated because we can still get it, they're saying now, we might have to start wearing masks again. Fine. If that's what I have to do to help someone else, to love somebody else, that's what I'll do. Please, we do what we do for others. We don't do what we do for ourselves, okay? So pray for me. Know that I'm praying for you. I will see you next week. Uh, Have a good week. Let's pray for each other. We always do God's holy will. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless, keep, and protect you. He who is Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. We got to go to the outro. So here it comes.